0: Good afternoon, all of you. Before the sermon, however, we have the fine and mighty ACOG Church Choir to sing for us, Behold Your God. It doesn't matter whether there's 20 of us or 15,000 of us, Behold Your God is a good thing. That was just wonderful. I, I always feel so inadequate after I hear good <laughs> inspiring music. And then I've got to talk. It, uh, it's, I guess, humbling indeed uh, to try to think that you could possibly match the inspiration of good music. And uh, can't. But God has beautiful music about his throne continually, so music is something that is very, very much a part of his life, and will be ours as well. We are not the heavenly choir yet, (laughs) but we do the best we can, and we do well, and I'm sure that of all the cacophony of noise that goes up before God on this earth, to hear a few people sing praises to him has to warm his heart. Because he doesn't hear much of it. Not in a true way. He really doesn't. He hears an awful lot of jangle. And I can't stand most of what is on the radio or the TV today. Well, I just, for the most part, don't even turn it on. It's ungodly. Anyway, there was a bit of a mix-up and maybe partly my fault over... uh, Bible study last week. I did announce it in services that we had had a correction on the calendar, but that correction was actually made several months before, and I probably should have, I mentioned it at the time, but I probably should have reprinted it and given you the correct copy because no matter what I say, it often is not heard, and then people refer to their calendar and it was a day off. So, Uh, we do have a fast coming up this week which uh, is the only change other than the night of the new moon Bible study that that error made because it altered the day of the fourth month one day but the fast of the fourth month will be coming this Thursday this Thursday I didn't reprint the calendar this week I thought after our Bible study situation, if I said it today, we'd probably remember it's Thursday. Uh, a day of fasting is an easy one to forget, however. <laughs> and I had another thought. I says, well, you know, even if I'd reprinted that calendar, somebody would have forgotten which one it was and, and uh, looked at the old one, so we might have had problems anyway. We're human. I am, you are, we all are. And these things can happen. But the fast of the fourth month coming this Thursday It's the ninth day of the fourth month. Uh, Some commentators say it's supposed to be the 17th. But I checked in the Bible in Jeremiah and it says the ninth day. So I'm going to go with it instead of a Jewish scholar if you don't mind. Uh, (laughs) That we have to often do. But the fast of the fourth month depicts the fall or the capture of Jerusalem in history, and we've seen the church Jerusalem fall in this day and age, and we hope to see that restored before long, and then it will be a feast of joy instead of fast of mourning over the destruction that has occurred. So you, have, you and I, just like the Jews and the Israelites back then, uh, have been mourning the fall of the church for the last over 30 years, and it's soon to be repaired. And I have, I hope, some better and new understanding of some of that, which might impact what I just said about the timing of this, uh, which we'll get to hopefully by the end of the sermon, uh, and see something that I doubt any of us have seen before, and I certainly haven't. Uh, If we don't get to it, you can wait till next week. But we started in last week on uh, the day of the Lord showing uh, some of the things that have to happen. And I want this, this will lead into uh, what I have to give us today that is new understanding, but we've understood for a long time that we, Israel has to fall, Ephraim has to fall, I covered that, and some of the elements and things that are dragging it down today, Uh, we, I think, can see by now that we are getting very close to a civil war, they are pushing things to cause that to happen. And we are also not very far from World War III, because they keep pushing things uh, with Russia in order to make that transpire. And Americans might have trouble seeing it, but it is our own government that is pushing NATO and pushing Russia. They have not been pushing us. We were the ones pushing in Ukraine. We're the ones that toppled their government in, what was it, 2014. And have gotten, why is it that Russia keeps putting all of our bases near her borders that I don't understand that? No, we're the ones that keep pushing closer and closer to Russia. And she reaches out to slow that down, and then we blame her for every problem we've got, or blame Putin for every problem we've got. And he's not responsible for it. We are. We're the ones pushing World War III. I hope we understand that. And Jeremiah, as I've said many times, clearly says that our leaders will reach out and shake the hand of our enemies and sell us out. And that's exactly what the communist government in Washington, D.C. is doing today. And they are speeding the process up very, very rapidly now. Uh, It was just ordered today, in fact, that a natural gas liquefaction plant, a big one back east, that burned recently, they said that it cannot be rebuilt because it would impact the environment too much. So ridiculous things like this that are going on. And Biden is thinking about shutting down the whole Permian Basin oil drilling area In West Texas and New Mexico, they provide 25% of the oil that America produces in the Permian Basin. I grew up there, and my dad used to service the oil wells with propane so they could run. I right now receive some small royalties from my grandfather who bought up mineral rights way back as a realtor. Every time he sold some land, he checks if there were mineral rights that nobody Claimed, and he would buy them. And now I've got 40 cousins that split the royalties from the Permian Basin. Well, so this is getting personal. Biden's gotten off my $10, $11, $12 checks. <laughs> or whatever they might happen to be by the time we split it 40 ways. But um, the, the signs are getting there clearer and clearer that we're right very near that. So, Does that mean that the end is near? Well, I think it it does, because the leaves are on the trees, and we see that. We see shortages in fuel, and they're going to get worse, and the price is going to get higher. Uh, The U.S. government uh, just this week, I think, I don't know if Biden said it himself, he might not have could have remembered, but uh, somebody high in the administration said that Washington is preparing for $200 a barrel barrel oil, which would put the price of gasoline at about $10 a gallon. Uh, So if they're preparing for that, and they've mentioned it, and they're shutting down oil fields, don't you think that's what they're planning? Pretty obvious. Anyway, let's don't get into too much of that. I've got too much Bible to cover today. But all these things tie in with it. me just, we were talking about the day of the Lord and when it officially is, and in Matthew 24, I think I'll turn to that one first, Matthew 24 is talking about the wars, the rumors of wars, how the gospel will have to be preached. Then it talks about fleeing into the mountains, Uh, and then verse 21 then says, For then, when you flee to Zion, there shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world, to this time, no, nor ever shall be. So the great tribulation begins the day that the church flees to Zion, when the uh, abomination stands up in the temple of God, which has to be built. And except those days should be shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, they will be shortened. So those events, starting from there, before the end of it all, obviously are going to be shortened somewhat. God has that power. He set things up and has a sequence of events. But right at the end, it's going to be so bad that nobody would live on into the millennium unless he intervenes. So he says it will be shortened. I don't know what that means by a day, a week, a month, or what. That's up to him. We just don't know. But it will be so bad that even the very elect could be deceived if it were possible. So there is terrible uh, time ahead when the beast, the false prophet... Will be doing signs and wonders from Satan that will be so powerful that even people who understand could be deceived because it will be such a dramatic, powerful thing. How else would you be close to being deceived by it? And then it talks about when he comes, it'll be as lightning. But notice verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the tribulation itself, three and a half years, as the book of Revelation clearly shows it being that amount of time, at the end of three and a half years, after that tribulation, uh, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they'll see him coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So after the tribulation, the 42 months times of the Gentiles, the three and a half years of the preaching of the witnesses, the 1260 days, all three are mentioned about that period of time, all equating to the exact same number uh, in time. And then will appear the sign of Christ coming. Now we know from Revelation 11 that the two witnesses are killed right at the end of that 1,260 days, and three and a half days later are resurrected in the first resurrection. So, at, right after the tribulation, there are going to be all kinds of signs in the heavens, and the sign of Christ will appear. And he will come back to uh, do the first resurrection. And the 144,000 will go up to meet him in the air at the end of the tribulation. So those are the events that have to occur. But when does the day of the Lord begin? Is it there specifically? This is 4th of July weekend. Okay, 4th of July isn't until the 4th, until Monday. But did people start jumping on planes yesterday and today to go observe it, did it in a sense already start the season for it? It culminates, it climaxes on Monday the 4th. But the start of it all is ahead of that. And I think he can show you scriptures that indicate that the day of the Lord is the same way. Now, it may be a specific time that it officially begins. But there are things like this that happened before that. Let me show you a couple of scriptures. Let's go to Haggai. Now, here, right down at the end of the second chapter, he has a message specifically to Zerubbabel. Now, remember, Haggai is, begins with the uh, gathering of God's remnant to build the temple, to build Jerusalem, and proceeds through that and talks about the times when he will be blessed. So, this is during the time of the remnant and the two witnesses. The tribulation is after they appear. They appear and begin to build the temple and to build Jerusalem. Seventy weeks later, the tribulation begins when the temple is desecrated. So, during the time of Zerubbabel, when he's still in charge, not after Christ has returned... But when Zerubbabel is building the temple, it's speaking of that time. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth
1: and overthrow
0: the throne of kingdoms and destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen and will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them and the horses and the riders shall come down, everyone by the sword of his brother. He says, In that day will I take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, and make you as a signet, for I have chosen you, says the eternal of hosts. So he's going to make Zerubbabel the flag bearer, the leader, the one that people would look to during this time of war and shaking of the heavens and the earth. And that comes before or during the tribulation. Probably mostly during because they will be given power to do plagues, to cause war, to stir up people against each other. All kinds of things will happen during that three and a half years that the Gentiles are ruling. God has given Israel the leadership and rulership since Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and on down. And Israel has... Failed and been taken captive and repented and come back, and this cycle has gone on. But God is going to turn the opportunity to govern the world over to whom? Satan, the devil, and the beast and false prophet. It will be that they by then have destroyed Israel, Europe, the United States, Canada, And the places where Israelites are, Australia, are going to be destroyed and taken into captivity. So the war that is shaping up right now, as we sit here, is between Europe, America, and the Gentile nations. That's shaping up exactly as these scriptures say. So he calls that three and a half years, the times of the Gentiles. He is being fair about this, okay? He gave Israel a chance to rule, and they blew it. He's even given the Gentiles opportunities at times, and they blew it. Like Nineveh. Jonah says, repent, and they did for about that long. And then went right back to what they had been doing. So nobody has taken hold and ruled in a righteous way. But God is going to give the Gentiles a specific chance, right here at the end, to rule the world and to rule it righteously, right? Would he give it to them without expecting them to do it right? No. But they will not live up to it. Already, they say they're worshiping and following Satan, Luciferians. And that will continue. So he will put the two witnesses against them to tell them, you've been given rulership. You are the leaders of the world. You're the new world order. Now, are you going to do it God's way, or are you going to do it the devil's way? And they're going to say, we're going to do it the devil's way. And then their their water will be turned to blood, and they'll get hail and fleas and ticks and whatever. And then they'll go on to another city and say, you've been given rulership of the world. Are you going to do it God's way? Are you going to bow your knee to God? Nope. Then they'll have plagues. So it's going to be a, a time of a great deal of confrontation between the two men that God sends and Satan and the two men that he sends, the beast and the false prophet. Two against two, if you will. God sitting here watching and directing, and Satan sitting over here watching and directing, but they're both putting in the hands of men, those who worship Satan and those who worship God. That's what we're coming down to. So there will be some pretty powerful things going on, and shaking of the heavens and the earth. He says it twice there in Haggai, once before that. He'll... In a little while, I'll shake it. So that's before the official day of the Lord, if you will. Now let me get another one, Joel 2. <laughs> <clears throat> Here he comes down in verse 28 and talks about a time when he'll pour his spirit upon all flesh and our uh, young men and old and maidens and everybody will dream dreams and see visions and so on. And in verse 30 he says, And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord comes. And it will still be an opportunity to whosoever would can call on the name of the eternal and be delivered. wherein Mount Zion and Jerusalem shall be deliverance. So this is still the time of the remnant and of the two witnesses before the day of the Lord. And we're seeing the moon turned to blood and the sun turned to darkness. So the official beginning of the day of the Lord isn't when God begins to act. I think we can see that time in Zechariah 2. Zechariah 2. Now here he's talking about fleeing from the land of the north, verse 6, get out of Babylon and go to Zion in verse 7. So this is talking about the time when uh, the flight to Jerusalem and Zion begins, not the, not the time we flee in Matthew 24, to the mountains to get away from the army, but the one ahead of time that is not in haste, as Isaiah 52 says. The one in Matthew 24 will be in great haste, but this one to gather people from all over the world who are the faithful remnant uh, will not be in that kind of haste. So it's a matter of coming to the right place to build a temple in Jerusalem. Verse 12, And the Lord shall inherit Judah his portion. He says 10% remnant. God will have his tithe of the people. In the Holy Land, and shall choose Jerusalem again. Jerusalem isn't chosen right now. It is absolutely desolate. No man lives in the original Jerusalem. It has been desolate for many generations, as several scriptures tell us. So, He's going to choose it yet again, and it'll be built in its own place in Zechariah 12, not in that fake place in the Middle East. Then he says in verse 13, something that impacts what we're saying, Be silent, O all flesh, all flesh, mankind around the world. Be silent before the eternal, for he is raised up out of his holy habitation. So here is the time when he has been with his father's throne, and he says back here at the beginning of this chapter, he's going to come and dwell with us and be with us during this time. So there's coming a time when he starts gathering the remnant that he is going to come and dwell with the remnant and the two witnesses, whether visibly or invisibly, we do not know. Not in great glory because we wouldn't survive. Now, he did come, he told the disciples, as you know, that after his resurrection and ascension to heaven, he would not see them much more, and he didn't. He came back a time or two, uh, let Thomas check him out, Uh, he came back and taught Paul in the desert for three and a half years, probably appeared as human flesh to do that, I would assume. Uh, So he has come back and forth a few times, not much, but a few. But here he says he's going to come and dwell with us for three and a half years while this great tribulation is going on. So he'll be here directing things on a hands-on basis, probably not in glory by any means, and maybe not even visible. I don't know that. But with us. Not up there, communicating down to here, but here, communicating more directly. Okay? Hands on. And this is before the official day of the Lord begins. Now, the official day of the Lord, I think, begins right there with what we read in Matthew 24. The end of the tribulation... The first resurrection occurs, and then the seven last plagues are turned loose, and it directly calls it the wrath of the eternal there in Revelation. I'd have to look up the chapter and verse. But that's the wrath of the eternal when that occurs, and that is going to decimate men to the point of probably only 100 million left for Christ to judge when he does come back to rule the world. Uh, and if it were not cut short, none of those would even survive. It's going to be so bad. So, tumult and darkness and stars in the heaven shaking starts occurring soon after Christ rises to begin to do this end-time work with the church. And he addresses it first, gets the temple built, gets Jerusalem built gets them to Zion for protection, and then turns it over to Satan and the beast and false prophet for three and a half years and says, okay, here's your chance. You hated Israel. You've destroyed Israel and taken them captive. And you think you're pretty hot stuff. Okay, you rule the world for three and a half years. Go for it. Christ hasn't taken the lead yet. Remember, he's already defeated Satan. And he'll take him by the nap of the neck and put him in captivity in the wilderness. So that's going to happen. But he's going to give the Gentiles, in all fairness, an opportunity. And he's going to tell them all the way through, you're not doing this right. Why don't you change? No. And then they'll think they won and they're going to rule the world forevermore when they finally kill the two in the streets of Jerusalem. And boy, is there going to be a party worldwide. They send gifts to each other, and that will be the most jubilant day the Gentile world has ever known. We got those two last Israelites. Now we're in for good. And then the seven last plagues start. Wow. Now, let's get down to something else that has to do with this that I think is possibly very, very important. I made a chart some years ago about events and things that had happened here at the end and what Mr. Armstrong was called in relationship to the proclaiming of the Jubilee in 27 AD by Christ there in Luke 4. And that ties together perfectly with uh, Ezekiel proclaiming one in a way and in Ezekiel 40 verse one. Com- combined with a couple of scriptures, it's a little complicated, but you can see if you look at the charts and the Jews have done it that the 50-year cycle was at that time in Isaiah. I mean in Ezekiel 40 in verse one. And when Christ announced it again in 27 AD, it was still in that 50-year sequence. So uh, the way Luke is worded, I think it's pretty clear it was a Jubilee that he was announcing there uh, that year. Had there been an at atonement then, because that's when the Jubilee is announced. So He called Herbert Armstrong, really his official commission, I think, began in 1927. He began to call him in 26, so 26, 27 were important. And that coincides with the 50-year cycle. He used to say himself, 1900 years. I don't know whether he understood the importance of that or whether he knew it was exactly 1900 and had to do with the Jubilees or not, I don't know. I highly doubt it. Because he thought that 72 and 75 were going to wind this all up and that wouldn't have fit that cycle. So he must not have known that. But he did know it was 1900 years since uh, Christ had preached that he was called and began to be converted and start to speak and to teach. Thirty years later, in 1996, God made these things we've been talking about very clear in the Scriptures. And by 1997, it started to begin to be preached along, I think, I don't know the exact date that the Minor Prophets series actually started. There had been talk about Haggai and Zechariah and so on before then. But until the information came together enough to really be proclaimed as a message, was about 1997, 30 years after Herbert Armstrong began. And then you tie in the 100 years of Noah, and God says in the end it will be like it was in the days of Noah. Uh, Mankind violent, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah upon us, and so on. But it took 100 years. For Noah to build the ark and for release from this world, go float the boat and come out in a whole new world at the end of that time, Uh, it took a hundred years. And from the time he began to call Herbert Armstrong and then officially put him to work, 2027 will be 2,000 years, from 27 AD to 2027 is 6,000 years. Now, the Jews have some agitation over this, and some of them say that the Jubilee cycle is not 50 years, it's 49. Now, this began after the fall of the Second Temple. Some of them began to espouse that. I don't know why necessarily because Maimonides, one of their leading uh, writers and prophets, said it had been 50 years. And then they came up, well, they quit keeping the Jubilee uh, cycle. And the Jews use this reasoning that God says, when you come into the land, keep it. And now that they've been dispersed, and they don't know where the Jews all are, and they're not all in one spot in the promised land, that they don't have to keep it. So until God gets them all back together in the desert in the Middle East, I guess they think, uh, they don't have to keep the land Sabbath or the Jubilee. So most of them don't keep it at all. Some think, though, that if they are to keep it, it will be on a 49-year rather than a 50-year basis. Now, which is it? Somebody brought that question up to me, thinking it might be 49, and that's the reason my chart looks like it's getting too short all of a sudden. And it began looking like that. And I began to wonder, am I all wrong about this? Uh, Do we have an open end here? Because I don't know how or have anything to base anything on if this chart runs out. And it's getting to the point that it had to in the resurrection and the first return of Christ had to be in the fall of 27 rather than the fall of 26. And I can see that, but then it starts squeezing that even. So I'm thinking, maybe I just need to throw this thing away and we'll just sit back and wait and see because that's all you can do if the best thing you've thought you figured out doesn't work. So I thought, I told God, I said, well, it's in your hands, it's your plan, it's your deal, it's not mine. Uh, if we don't have the timing right, uh, when you're ready, it'll happen. So it didn't shake my faith to think maybe this is getting too short, maybe I'm missing something. Uh, I wasn't going to lose faith, and I wasn't going to be afraid to admit, hey, this thing, if you still got a copy, get rid of it, okay? Because my ego does not require this to happen this way. We were wrong in 72, 75. We were wrong in 82. We were wrong in whatever years we decided, okay, over the years. So here we still are waiting, and it's a lot longer than any of us ever anticipated that it would be. but we didn't understand, we knew there had to be a 6,000 years and then another 1,000 or 7,000 years. We knew that because the Scripture clearly says that. Well, if you go with the 49-year cycle, and I, had, I pointed this out to the person that asked the question, where do you get a 6,000 or a 7,000-year Configuration. You start multiplying out 49, or divide 6,000 by 49, and you come out about 40 and a half years off. The numbers just don't work. And if you go to 7,000, it gets a little further off, if you use a 49-year cycle. Now, here in Leviticus 27, I think it actually, in Scripture, makes it quite clear but I want to add something to it to make it abundantly clear. And this impacts the new understanding that I think I have, uh, because understanding how this fits in more clearly uh, changes it. Leviticus 25 is where I want to be. Here he starts talking about uh, the seventh year and the Sabbath of rest. We won't go through all this. But he goes through seven times seven, just like counting Pentecost. Seven Sabbaths, shall you count? Uh, That's 49 days, seven times seven. And the 50th then is Pentecost. That's so easy, but the church just, Mr. Armstrong stumbled over that for years, wondering if Pentecost ought to be on Monday or Sunday, whether you count. Inclusively or exclusively was the argument. And the Jews were in the middle of that one. But it, to me, just reading the scripture, quite clear. Count 49 and the next day's it. And Pentecost means count 50, not count 51. Which is what Monday would be, the 51st day after seven Sabbaths. That's pretty clear. So Pentecost fits this perfectly. But in verse 9, uh, well, let's go to verse 8. And you shall number seven Sabbaths of years unto you seven times seven years. And the space of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you forty-nine years. How is How can you misinterpret that? Seven times seven is forty-nine. Then, after forty-nine years... Shall you cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month in the Day of Atonement? You'll make it sound throughout all the land, and you shall hallow the forty-ninth year, it says. No? Fiftieth year, not the forty-ninth. And proclaim liberty throughout all the lands of all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee to you, and you shall return every man to his possession, and shall return every man to his family. A a jubilee shall that fiftieth year be to you. You shall not sow, neither reap that which grows of itself in it, nor gather the grapes in it of your vine undressed, for it is the jubilee. It is holy, and you shall eat the increase thereof out of the field and return every man his possession. I think it's chapter, does it go on down and say that here? Is it in chapter 27? Where uh, all the land was being returned to the family that had originally been given it when Joshua divided it up when they went into the promised land. That way, if you had a fool that ruined his wealth, lost his land, uh, his family did not have to suffer for it because after 50 years it would return to the family and maybe somebody a little smarter would be in charge and not lose the land that the family had. So you couldn't really sell land. You could only lease it. And it explains very clearly that whichever year you were in the Jubilee cycle, if you needed to lease your land out because you would mismanaged in the 10th year, then you could have the rest of the Jubilees time to make yourself a slave of the person who bought it, or somebody else, because you couldn't manage and feed yourself. So, you could only rent the land from one to 49 years, and in the 50th year, it was released and went back to the original family. So, that's why we adopted a 49-year lease here. Didn't know for sure how long the jubilee, or where we were in the cycle at the time, but I was just using that principle, that it is not owning the land, but leasing it. And then people began to rebel against that, and we've had the mess we've had. But that is the principle God lays out here for us, that it can only be leased. But it's a time of jubilee, and that's a joyous time when you get your land back, when all your debts are released. And you did. You released debts every seven years. Also, you rested the land and forgave debts every seven years. That helped people uh, who didn't manage well to get back to profitability again, if you will. This is a beautiful system God set up, but Israel has seldom followed it, if ever, really. And God tells us in Leviticus. 26 and Deuteronomy 28, if we don't do the land Sabbath, that he is going to send a curse upon us. Now that's part of the blessing and cursing chapters is the release of the land. I don't have time to go into that again today, but that's part of it. So the Jubilee was was at atonement, and there is proof here that it can't be a 49 year cycle. Because it says clearly, and I don't, my eye doesn't fall on it. Uh, well, wait a minute, maybe it is down here. In the 49th year, remember, you couldn't plant. That's the land Sabbath. The 50th year was the Jubilee, and you also didn't plant. And it talks here in verse 21 I'll command my blessing upon you in the sixth year, and it shall bring forth fruit for three years, and you shall sow the eighth year, and eat yet of old fruit until the ninth year, until the fruits come in, you shall eat of the old store, the land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine, and he talks about the redemption of the land. So, you couldn't plant in the fiftieth year, the jubilee year, you couldn't plant in the forty-ninth year, the land Sabbath. And yet he says that as the cycle begins, you can always plant in the first year. When a new cycle begins after the Jubilee, you have the first year. And you can plant in that first year. So if they overlap, and the first and the fiftieth are the same year, you're told in one scripture you can plant on the first year, but you're told you can't plant. On the 50th year. So you're at an impasse. If it's the first year, I can plant. But if the 50th year and the first year are the same, then I can't plant. So what do I do? Plant half my garden, half my field? (laughs) No. It just becomes quite obvious that there's a different use of the first year in the 50th year. Plus it says here, count 49, and then the 50th year is the Jubilee. And guess what? If God promised us six days of man and a thousand years of Christ, pictured by the week, fifty works out in even numbers. Comes out precisely on six thousand and comes out precisely on seven thousand. Now we got something that works. That's the way God set it up. It's very clear. Why did the Jews change it to the forty nine? I think I have a clue. I don't know. I wasn't around that far back quite. But the Jews don't like to have back-to-back Sabbaths, do they? They change the calendar around. If the new moon falls on a day when you're going to have a Sabbath on Friday and on Saturday, they postpone it because they don't like to have Sabbaths back-to-back. Now, if they don't like Sabbath back-to-back, how would you like to have Sabbath years back-to-back? Oh, my, that would go against their grain. We can't be making our money like normal if we have two years where we can't plan. So, I think it makes more sense if we do 49 and then the 50th year is the same as the first year. Let's go that way. That's the way the Jews reason. That's the way the calendar is, the way it is. And yet God has set it up so that you have to have Sabbaths back to back. In the spring, you have the weekly Sabbath, seven complete weeks from the Sabbath during Unleavened Bread. Count 49, seven Sabbaths. And then the 50th is Pentecost. So you have the weekly Sabbath on Saturday and Pentecost on Sunday, which is God-ordained and commanded back-to-back Sabbaths. So the Jews need to go back to kindergarten. They can't count. Why can't they count? Because they don't want to. They don't want to do it the way God said. It's that simple. So, what we come up with is a 50-year cycle. Answered that question. Now let's go to Luke 4. Now, here is the famous scripture that we have used about Christ. Now, let's, let's get the setting here, okay? Why does he say what he does say, and when is he saying it? Now, he grew up, and we've always, I think, understood that he began his ministry in 27 AD because he had a three-and-a-half-year ministry, and he was cut off in the midst of the leak. Not a seven-year, but a three-and-a-half-year. So, he preached for three and a half years and then was killed or cut off. Now, when did his ministry begin? He had some lead-up time in 26 AD, preparing for the ministry. Part of that preparation was Satan tempting him. Because God was not going to let Christ begin his ministry unless he had already defeated Satan. And that was part of the lead up to him going into the ministry. <laughs> so, just before he makes this proclamation down here in chapter 4, verse uh, 16, is the temptation where Satan took him up on the pinnacle and took him up on the mountain, and you know the story. And Christ quoted scripture properly instead of twisting it as Satan was. And he defeated Satan and qualified. Up to that point, he disqualified Satan and qualified himself to lead. But he had to finish the job before he could officially become the ruler of the earth. And that is to go through his ministry and die and be resurrected, uh, because that was part of the job that he was sent out here to do. So he had to beat Satan, and then he had to go through with the rest of his commission. And it began right after this temptation. Uh, verse 13: When the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed for him from him for a season. And he went off to sulk. and uh, but he came back because he doesn't give up easily. He's, if nothing else, he's pretty persistent, and he's going to fight God until he no longer can. So he went away for a while. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. He had just fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He had just defeated Satan, and he was full of the Spirit of God at this point. And there went out a fame of him throughout all the region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. The Holy Spirit was so obvious to people right then that, that everybody looked up to him. Now, that was not the case through most of his life or through most of his ministry. But right at that point, he had come back in power, and everybody gave him hosannas. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And there was delivered to him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Isaiah 61, verse 1. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. So he's making an announcement here by reading Isaiah 61, The God has sent me and anointed me, ordained me, to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Those are all elements of the Jubilee. All the things we just read there. Let's look at that. Preach the gospel to the poor. What is he going to do at the beginning of the millennium? Everyone will be poor. They will have gone through frightful conditions, barely survived, and will have nothing and not be happy about it. And what will we do? We'll be there with him to preach the gospel to the poor right after the jubilee. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Will people not be terribly brokenhearted at the beginning of the millennium? They will have lost everything they had. They will have lost most of their relatives. They will have lost their homes, their food, everything. They'll be standing there absolutely destitute and looking like they just came out of a Nazi war camp is how they'll look. To preach deliverance to the captives. What is the jubilee? I just emphasized the word liberty when I read it back there in Leviticus 25. Liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. So they can see for a change. Spiritually, physically, mostly spiritually. And then what? To set at liberty them that are bruised. Every 50 years, the bruises of 50 years of living were released and relieved. Captives were turned free. Liberty was proclaimed throughout the land. All those who had oppressed you had to turn loose of you. So everything he's saying here in the context has to do with the jubilee. That's one of the ways we know that's what he was proclaiming, is because he states. I can go back and read Leviticus 25 to you again, and he states everything it says back there. A little bit different words, but the same things. To preach the acceptable year of the eternal. Now, what is the acceptable year of the eternal? The acceptable year for God is when Satan has been bound. It is when all mankind's governments and rulers and dictators and idiots have been put down. It is the time when the land has been set free from all the ownership that it has had for the last 6,000 years and gets its rest. the jubilee is the acceptable year of the eternal. None other has all the areas of acceptance and blessing as the jubilee, a time of great joy. So that is the acceptable year of the eternal. And he closed the book, that was what he had to say, and sat down. And he began to say to them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. So it was the time that he did what? He told them, I'm anointed to preach. And he stood up and gave them his first preaching lesson. And then he sat down and says, this scripture, Isaiah 61.1, has been fulfilled in your ears. Now, if that's not declaring the acceptable jubilee year, I don't know what is. And then he called Herbert Armstrong and gave him his commission in 1927, 38 jubilee cycles later. And it'll be 40 of those in 2027. Okay? Come out Comes out even. All right. Let's look at the years we have remaining and see how this could wind up. I'm not saying it's going to, but I'm saying understanding the 50 and then applying it, because that's what I hadn't done. I hadn't focused enough to see exactly what year that was talking about and what would happen that year. And when we get down to it here in a few minutes, I think you're going to see that that is the year. That maybe we may be talking about. Maybe I should start this. Let let me look at Jeremiah 34. Just for a moment. Jeremiah 34. Verse 17. Therefore, thus says the Eternal, you have not hearkened to me in proclaiming liberty everyone to his brother and every man to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim a liberty for you, says the Eternal, to the sword, to the pestilence, and to the famine, and I will make you to be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth. Now, that is an interesting way of putting this in terms of the jubilee. You've not released the land. You've not released each other. You've not made it a time of joy. You've been oppressive and disobedient. I am going to give you a year of release, and that release is going to be war and famine and pestilence and captivity. Keep that in mind for a few minutes. And when we get down to what I think the year of Jubilee is to be soon, that's the kind of year it's going to be. We cannot now have a proper Jubilee in the way that God described it in Leviticus 25. Can we? No. No. We can't, we don't have the circumstances where we've been following the Jubilee one year after another so that we can release the land, we can release the slaves. We haven't been following that. So we can't proclaim ourselves a year of greatness and wonder and joy and liberty, can we? But God says, I'm going to liberate. And that liberation is going to be a very unpleasant experience for the inhabitants of this world. Mark Jeremiah thirty four seventeen Well, because it fits very well with where we're now headed. Jubilee means... Well, the first time it's used in Leviticus 25, it's word number 3104 which means a blast of the horn or the shofar on atonement to declare the jubilee. It also, that word, means a silver trumpet blast. Remember, he may have to make seven silver trumpets. So it is a blast that announces something. Although, wait a minute, the 8643, is the one used in 25.9, the first one. I skipped down one. The first time it's used, it's 86.43, and it means a clamor, an acclamation of joy, or a battle cry, trumpets with alarm. First time he uses jubilee, that's the Hebrew word that's described. Not just joy, not just liberty, but it includes a clamor, To me, a clamor is like a riot. It's not a pleasant sound. It is also an acclamation of joy, but a battle cry and trumpets of alarm, which signify battle and war. Now, the rest of the time, when he uses Jubilee, they use a totally different word. Every other time, which is the one I quoted first, uh, 3104, It's yobel, which means a horn blast or a silent trumpet blast, and that's all it says. All it says is the definition the rest of the time. So tie that with Jeremiah 34, 17, when God says, that jubilee is going to be a time when I send you into captivity. That's an alarm of war. It's a battle cry. It's perfectly... God says the land will have its rest. I will make it happen. So the Jubilee, I think the 49th year, and the 50th of the Jubilee are going to be a time that is going to be so horrible that the land is not going to be planted anywhere on this earth. It will get its rest, just as God says. Okay. let's continue this. I think instead of starting today, we'll go forward a few years and start counting back this direction and see where we wind up. Now, i said on this chart that 2026, it trumpets. Now, this is what likelihood I was saying. I wasn't making a prediction here, I was just trying to Put together the things the Scripture said and see how they came out. But 2026 would probably be the first resurrection and begin the one-year honeymoon at the throne. And the seven last plagues would begin, and that they would end then uh, in the fall of 27, with Christ returning with his bride, having had his honeymoon. But then some of the things that have to happen, like the 70 weeks to build Jerusalem and the temple... And the three and a half years of the tribulation were we're getting closer and closer. And it began to cut that where it couldn't happen. And then the return would have to be in 27, not in 26. And then there wouldn't be time for the honeymoon. He'd have to cut his honeymoon off. So my chart was beginning to fall short. Now, Going into the 4950 thing on the Jubilee made me focus again on this, and suddenly I think God opened my eyes. Christ proclaimed the Jubilee in 2027, which would have been atonement of 27. Now you count forward 2,000 years, and you come to 2027. So, that is a complete cycle of 40 Jubilees. 40 times 2,000 is... uh, No, 40 times 50 is 2,000. So, it comes out right on the money 2,000 years later. Now, that would seem to fit. You do 49 years, you're 40 and a half years off. You're going to be 50. Okay, if he proclaimed it, that it began Atonement 27, then the Jubilee has to begin, not end, in Atonement of 2027. So, I was a year short. I wasn't considering that for some stupid reason, and maybe God didn't want me to know it at the time. So, if the Jubilee is declared 20 of 27 in the fall, then it ends 2028. Okay? Okay? Not 2027. Now, what has to happen then, if that be the case? Well, let's start, now that I've mentioned that, let's start back today. And look at the sequence of some events that the scripture says have to happen. And they take a certain amount of time. And that being the case, they have to wind up at the right time at the end obviously. Here we are in 2022. We're looking at Civil War about to commence. We're looking at World War III about to commence within the next months, maybe. It can happen most any time now. We keep pushing and pushing. So we're at a time when all these events could occur. The remnant has to gather. And Jeremiah says that they'll gather just ahead of the invasion of the northern army. Jeremiah 50 says, they'll say, how do I get to Zion? i got the army about to come in behind me. I need to get to Zion. So the gathering of the remnant and in the invasion of this country are not far apart, if they're apart at all. I don't know that them they're going to have a sphere of uh, punching their behind but it might be a week or two or a month ahead of time, but they see it coming and they see the remnant gathering and say, i got to get to Zion. So, you know, I don't know exactly how that works, but it's at a time when war is certainly imminent when the remnant starts. That's, That's the message of Jeremiah 50. So here we are in 2022, beginning the summer. Ahead of us come the dates in Haggai. Would address when uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua were addressed, the two witnesses and the remnant, uh, see signs and wonders, and begin to come. There in Zechariah three. Speaking of that time. All right. Uh, this year, six one of Haggai comes on August twenty eighth. Well into a long hot summer. <laughs> uh, it has four dates in the book of Haggai six twenty four. They're called and told, "Why are you sitting around? Why aren't you building?" In 6:1, 6:24, they're geared up and working. 7:21, which is the seventh day of the Feast of Tabernacles, is the next day that's mentioned in Haggai, and then 9:24 is the day from that day he said he would truly begin to bless. That comes in December, uh, and it's the day before the Feast of Dedication starts. It starts on the 25th, the 9th, and 24th is the day of Haggai. That's the way it lines out this year, okay? Now, we have ahead of us, it says, that 70 weeks are needed to build Jerusalem. I'm assuming the temple in Jerusalem are probably going to be built at the same time. Now, we've got to come out right. So the time for that to start, it requires a year and 18 weeks. That needs to start about December of this year, or January of 2023, and have 18 weeks till Passover. Then 52 more weeks till the next Passover is 70 weeks. Then the abomination would be set up in the temple as soon as it's finished, as Daniel shows. You flee to Zion, and you have three and a half years while the times of the Gentiles and the times of the preaching of the witnesses occurs. Now, let's see, how does that work out? From the end of 22 to the beginning of 23, the temple work would begin. It would go through the spring of... 24 in the beginning of 23 let's say 18 weeks then a full year will be the spring of 24 70 weeks and the flight probably from other scriptures seems to indicate in the spring at Passover when God delivered them from Mishra and so on it would seem to be the time so if the tribulation starts then at the end of the 70 weeks, and that's in, say, around Passover of 24, you got to have three and a half years of the times of the Gentiles. 42 months, 1260 days, uh, three and a half years. By then, we will have to have a 360-day calendar for all those three things to fit together. So God's going to change the heavens to fit His original creation. So, There are some days in there, 20 to 30 days, if you take off five and a quarter off each year. uh, There's 20-something days we don't know quite what to do with, or 30, depending on when he does it. Then you have Daniel 12, with an extra 30 and 45, 75 days we don't know what to do with. So, predicting a day and an hour, I think it's impossible, because there are some variables in there that God has kept to himself. And that's fine. He's in charge. He knows what he's doing. That doesn't mean we can't know the time when all this comes to pass. And I think the last piece may have just fallen into line. All right, then. From the spring of 24, let's count it out. Spring of 25 is one year. Spring of 26 is two years. Spring of 27 is three years. Another half a year takes you to the fall of What did I say? 24 to 25, 25 to 26, 26 to 27, spring, and then fall of 27. (coughs) That's when the witnesses would then be killed in the streets of Jerusalem would be fall of 27. And he says three and a half days after that will come the first resurrection. So that would put the first resurrection in the fall of 27. Now whether it's on trumpets or on atonement, or the variables in days that are changing, changes that somewhat, I don't know. But in type, when the trumpet sounds is when Christ returns, and the Feast of Trumpets makes the most sense. Now, if he wants to bury that a little bit in the same season, that's his business. But that's the way it's laid out in type, in the Bible at least. And God is on time, so Trumpets of 27 could well be it. Now what happens then, the fall of 27, it would be the return of Christ in glory, as we read in Matthew 24, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the three and a half years. It's going to get all dark again, and the powers of the heavens won't shine, and the sign of the Son of Man will be in the heavens, immediately after the tribulation. So that would be the fall of 27. Maybe he's the trumpets, possibly. So, the first resurrection would occur then. Let's just say, for argument's sake, Trumpets of 27. What would he also do? He would announce the Jubilee. Because that would be 2027 in atonements right after Trumpets. So, as he announced it in 27 A.D., he would announce it again in 2027 A.D., so, the Jubilee, then, would run from Atonement 27 to Atonement 28. So, instead of coming in 26, according to this laying out properly, would have him returning in the fall of 27, and doing the first resurrection, proclaiming the Jubilee, and it is also the time that the seven last plagues begin. Okay? When he comes, takes his bride back, has his honeymoon for a year, is the time of the seven last plagues. Now, that ties in perfectly with Jeremiah thirty-four seventeen, A time when I am going to violently release the land, release you from the government you've been under, release you from everything. And it's going to be a violent time. And that is, I think, why he used that word when he first started talking about Jubilee. Because it is going to be a violent release. It's not going to be a gentle thing. The devil ain't going to turn loose easy. Man's governments aren't going to turn loose easy. But they will be stopped at the time of the first resurrection, more or less. It doesn't say they end right there. It says they'll be given three and a half years to rule. signs of the Gentiles. And he's going to do the first resurrection and unleash the seven last plagues. Well, those seven last plagues will probably pretty quickly take down the new world order. It'll come on rulers. It'll come on everybody. It'll come on the whole world. Remember what he said in Zechariah 2? Be silent, O all flesh. Because when I start to move, this is where it's going to end up. The seven last plagues will go on during the jubilee year. While the bride is with her husband having the honeymoon. Then what happens? Fall of 28, 2028, he comes back. As proclaimed in the book of Revelation, with his vesture dipped in blood, with the sword in his hand, and all his saints with him. The bride coming with him. Because she'll ever be with him after the first resurrection. Never leave him. He won't leave her to go through anything. They'll all go together, wherever they go. So when he comes back at the end of the jubilee, he does what? He removes all remaining resistance. Every knee that doesn't bow at that time will be killed. Total freedom from Satan and total freedom from man's governments. Total release of the land from whoever had owned it. Binding Satan and throwing him in the pit for a thousand years. So he's no longer around. That's a pretty violent year, wouldn't you say? But that's what it's going to take to release this world from the bondage it's been under, under Satan, the devil, the beast, and the false prophet, and all those under them. Beautiful thing. I never saw it before. Didn't understand Jeremiah thirty-four seventeen. I guess. This is how it has to be done. Mankind is not going to admit or accept the year of Jubilee Until Christ comes back and finishes the job, then what comes after that? After, now he may cut it a little short, may not last quite till fall. Might be days, might be weeks, might be a month or two, I don't know, but he has said he's going to cut it short. But cut what short? It's at the end of the seven last plagues that have to be cut short, because that's when we're in danger of everybody being killed. Still part of the day of the Lord, but it began back there when he came to be with the remnant and the witnesses, and then it, with clouds and trouble and more trouble and more trouble until it finally climaxes with him returning with his bride to put down all opposition. So, let's say from the fall of 2028, what do we have? Beginning of the next 50-year cycle. Year one begins the millennium. Because all has been put down, people will be returned to the land, and in the first year, they can plant. It's very simple. millennium begins then, fall of 28. 2028. Now, it'll be a while before their crops can be harvested. What did God do when he released them from Mnitrium or Egypt? It was a very violent thing, was it not? With all those plagues and some of it came on them. Then they had the firstborn all killed. Then they had to run for their lives in the middle of the night. And then they had to stand at the Red Sea and say, Oh man, here they come. It was not an easy process to free them up okay? And it's not going to be an easy process here at the end to cause the Jubilee to free everything up and proclaim true liberty no one over you anymore except the Lamb of God who will rule in love and peace and mercy and the devil gone. You know what? As a human being, I certainly look forward to the day that Satan is bound and I would have liberty from him. The day I would have liberty from these idiots in Washington, D.C. and in Russia and in China and wherever else they are. By then, all the governments of men will be put down and the land will be having its rest in the 49th and the 50th years from the time that Christ returns until the first year of planting occurs. Now that puts us back on time with this chart by adding the year of Jubilee and puts his return one year further down the road in 2027, which the Jubilee proclaims. I admit that. So, maybe we have to look forward this summer and a lot of People are saying we're close to civil war. We're real close. They're shutting down the food. They're shutting down the fuel. They're shutting down, they're going to start, Biden's already said, we're going to have another pandemic. All this stuff's coming down, right now. We're not the nation we were at all. Roe versus Wade, you name it. It's, just, it's coming at us from every direction suddenly. And Russia threatening to nuke us at the same time. So, maybe this summer we begin to see some of the things happen. If this chart is indeed right, we should see that this summer, and we should see the gathering of the remnant sometime between now and, let's say, sometime in December, because we need 70 weeks, uh, a year and 18 weeks, to build, and then three and a half years of tribulation, And that puts us at atonement for trumpets of 27. So we're right on schedule if considering the Jubilee in the way that it should have been, and I missed it, uh, is correct. I think we're still, I think this chart is still right on track because it includes things that God did. He proclaimed it in 27 AD through Christ. And he called and then commissioned Herbert Armstrong exactly 19 years later. And this would put it exactly 2,000 years later with 100 years of end-time prophecies being completed. (laughs) So the numbers all work perfectly. And with the Jubilee there, the chart is right back on schedule. So now, we just need to watch and see If that, indeed, is the case. And if it's not, uh, we'll need some fires this winter, and this will be a good way to start one. I don't know whether it's correct or not, but it sure seems to fit everything that we see here. So, let's watch and pray always, and move forward, and trust that what we see things, what we see happening in the news is definitely leading to this. And will it happen quite this quick? We don't have long to wait to find out. We really don't. They're talking about all shipping of trucking being done, starting within about six to eight weeks from now, and completely done by December. Is that going to happen? I don't know. Let's watch and see. Well, we're out of time for today, and actually we little pass. So let's stop. But to me, this has been an astounding addition to what I thought I had understood because I hadn't properly considered when the Jubilee started. It had to be 1927. So, that, I think, is without question because Christ said it in 27 AD. So, it has to start on time. Now, does that mean all these prophecies come to pass as this is laid out? We'll soon know. But I... It fits better than anything by far I've ever seen, and it seems to fit the scriptures the way they're written. So let's batten the hatches and get ourselves ready. That's the main thing. Uh, if it is indeed this quick, and it certainly could be. We'll see.